0: Um, If you're remaining in the room and you have a copy of God's Word, uh, turn to Jonah chapter 3. If not, you can follow along uh, on the screens uh, behind me. Um, We're going to continue our look at the book of Jonah this morning. Um, As you're turning there, I uh, read an article this week uh, that talked about this phenomenon called Blue Monday. I don't know if you've uh, ever heard about this before. Uh, But a lot of scientists have uh, done a lot of studying and do the science things that they do and have tracked that there is one day that they call the most depressing day of the year. And they call it Blue Monday. And they uh, figured, uh, they looked at weather patterns, they looked at proximity to holidays, they looked at uh, debt patterns that people have and how that catches up to them after the holidays. And they even put some math to it. And they said that the third Monday in the month of January is the most depressing day of the year, which congratulations, you survived it. It was this past Monday on the 15th was Blue Monday. Uh, I don't know if that rings true to you. A lot of people deal with sort of seasonal affective disorder, and I get the blues during the the winter months as well. So I'm sure you might agree that, yes, this is a tricky time of year uh, to find joy. But often our sadness, whether it's in January or really at any point in our life, often our sadness has a a lot to do more than just weather and debt patterns and proximity to holidays, often our our sadness comes through our own facing of hardships that life tends to send our way, Uh, hardships of all shapes and sizes. Well, we're in the middle of a sermon series um, uh, looking at the the lives of Jonah and Job. We're sort of J and J for short. And there's not much that these two men really had in common, but each of them faced significant hardship. Uh, Jonah's hardship was his own doing. He he brought it upon himself. Uh, Job's hardship was a part of God's cosmic plan that we're not sure whether he ever really understood or was let in on. But both men needed to find a way to, to trust in God even through unspeakable hardship. And friends, I think the same is true for you and I as we face hardship. How are we going to trust God with whatever is put in front of us, whatever difficulty we are dealing with? Jonah tried really hard not to trust in God. He wanted to trust in himself, and, and we fall victim to the same temptation. But eventually he had no choice in the matter. He would have to trust God Uh, in doing the most offensive and physically threatening thing that he could think of. And that's what our passage reminds us of this morning. I'm going to be reading from Jonah chapter 3, the entirety of this chapter, uh, which is really just 10 short verses. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, The message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. How they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is God's word. Father, we thank you for uh, just the ability to gather together to study your word. Uh, We do thank you for the beauty of of seasons, even though this one tends to be particularly uh, difficult but how the seasons reflect your greatness and your power, Father. And I believe your power is on display in every page of the scripture, but particularly on display in these pages of the scripture. So help us to to understand your character that we see here um, and to leave here changed as a result. Speak to us through your word, Father. It is living, it is active, it changes and shapes our hearts. So we pray for the next few moments as we meditate on your word that you would do That very thing. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So, whenever we approach the scriptures, um, we ought to ask what does it mean for us? Um, we ought to always walk away uh, thinking about application. How do I take what i 've read in god 's word, whether, whether on a Sunday morning or in my own personal study? How do I take what i 've read in god 's word and apply it to my life god 's word is never intended to be just an intellectual exercise we 're always uh, to be called to be applying it to shape our lives according to it. And we have to ask questions. How does this impact the life that I live? Um, How do I uh, allow myself to be shaped and molded by God's word? But often before we get to application, we have to ask ourselves what are the scriptures telling us about God? Because often the more we understand about God and his character, the more we will then understand about ourselves and about our own lives and what we should do in response to God's character. And I think the same is true when it comes to hardship. Um, Often we principally ask, how are we gonna endure through whatever hardship we are facing? But maybe we should first ask ourselves the question, what is God showing me about himself In the midst of my troubles or in the midst of my hardship, how might he be calling me to trust him with whatever's in front of me? Well, again, as I said before, I think God's character is on display all throughout this book, and I think one of the clear elements of his character that we see here is God's incredible power. If you remember in chapter one, God sent a a storm and we saw his power on display in the midst of a storm. Uh, now we get to chapter three and we see his power on display once again. And as we look at his power, I want us to think about it really in, in two ways. We see the power of God to rewrite stories, and we also see the power of God to rewrite people's hearts. And the question I want us to ask is how might God be rewriting our own stories? as he rewrites our hearts as we trust him with whatever hardships we face in this life. So I want to start with this idea of God having the power to rewrite our stories. And I want to go back to verses 1 and 2 where it says again that the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, these verses are very matter of fact, um, but they are dripping with God's compassion, with his uh, patience, and with his grace, even though those words are not used at all in these first two verses. Now, why do I say that? Well, in Jonah 1, if you haven't been with us, Jonah 1, God comes to Jonah the prophet and tells him to go to Nineveh. And he is told to go and to preach a message of repentance to his mortal enemies. And he wanted nothing to do with it. He felt physically threatened by God's call on his life and spiritually offended by what God wanted him to do. And so Jonah decides he's going to run in the opposite direction. He's going to go his own way. And so in arrogance and in pride, he boards a ship sailing in the opposite direction towards a city named Tarshish. Uh, Just like Adam and Eve and that first sin that they committed in the garden, Jonah believed that he knew better than God, that his way uh, was gonna be better than God's way. And so he concluded that it was easier for him to trust in his own plan than to trust in God's plan. He wanted to stay comfortable in his own sort of sense of spiritual superiority. And so he decides to run in the opposite direction. And he probably thought, at least for a little while, that he had gotten away with it until maybe he's on the, on the top of the ship and looking in the distance and he sees a storm that it was approaching. God sent a storm on the sea. And he may have had to conclude at that moment okay, God's caught up with me. Uh, God's judgment has, has finally come. He's caught up with me. And so he flings himself eventually. He flings himself into the sea. And as he is falling into the sea, he had to have all sorts of emotions going on. He may have been thinking, it would be better for me to just die. Than to do what God wants me to do. But probably more likely he was concluding as he flung himself into the sea that this was God's divine judgment that was catch, catching up to him because of his rebellion. He was probably concluding that God's judgment was now falling upon him and this hardship of being thrown into the sea was God's punishment that he was finally having to deal with Now his life was over. The well-deserved wrath of God was falling upon him. But wait, the passage tells us he instead is swallowed by a fish. And maybe immediately he thinks that it wasn't enough for God to just end him by drowning. Instead, his sin was so great he would now have to be slowly digested in the belly of a fish until he died. But wait. God was doing something different. God was actually preserving his life in the belly of that fish. Maybe this wasn't God's punishment. Maybe this wasn't his judgment. And so then we read at the end of chapter 2 that instead the fish vomited him out on the shore. I've often wondered... What must have Jonah looked like (laughs) after he is vomited out on the shore? But that's what the scriptures tell us. Either way, what is concluded here is that God is giving Jonah a second chance to trust in him. Um, One of the best sports movies, and I know these are fighting words here, but one of the best sports movies, I believe, is a movie that was made um, in 1986 uh, called Hoosiers uh, it's a basketball movie it's it's old by now but it's I think one of the best ones that's out there um, on, on the surface it's a basketball movie uh, that tells a, to- a story about a sort of a small town high school basketball team uh, that beats incredible odds in order uh, to make it to the state championships and I'm not going to tell you the end in case you want to go out and watch it but I will tell you that really I don't think the movie is about basketball at all I think it's a movie about second chances. Uh, If you know anything about the movie, the coach finds himself in a small town. Really, uh, he's running away. And he's in this little small town uh, running away from his past. And we learn that he is running away because in his anger at his old coaching job, uh, he struck one of his players and he was sanctioned by whatever governing body was uh, in place. The principal is really the only one that knows about his past, but decides to give him a second chance at the school. And eventually, as the movie goes on, the townspeople discover what had happened about his past, but even though they now know about his past, they still decide to give him a second chance. What's beautiful is that all the while, the coach himself befriends the town drunk and and makes him an assistant coach under the condition that he stops drinking. But when he shows up drunk at a game, you think his coaching, his assistant coaching career is over, but the coach, who was given a second chance, gives the assistant a second chance as well. So really, it is a movie all about second chances. And we love stories about second chances because we often know how hard they are to come by. Maybe we've committed uh, some sin or some mistake in our lives. Maybe we've made some sort of wrong decision and we believe that's it, it's over. And sometimes it feels like it is. And yet sometimes life surprises us with a different path or even a second chance. You see, I think Jonah had believed that he had forfeited his right to be the prophet of God. But God wasn't done with him. God was still rewriting his story. And so what we learn from our passage is that not only is Jonah given a second chance, but he seizes upon this second chance He might have decided he really just has no option at this point. He might as well obey God. He doesn't really have any choice in the matter. So he would need to trust God with the next step. And so let me ask you, is there something in your life or something that you are living with that you regret? Uh, maybe it's a regret over a past sin. Maybe you just wish you could go back and change some certain decision about your life. You could sort of rewrite your history. Maybe you've concluded that even as you're sitting here, you feel because of all those things, you're just too damaged to be used by God. Well, friends, the Jonah story tells us that, that it's never too late with God. He is always in the business of writing and rewriting our story. He didn't give up on Jonah, and he refuses to give up on you as well. And he can even use your complexity and your messiness and your regrets and your past missteps to do great things. And that's what really brings us to the second uh, point that we see here in our story, and that is that God not only has the power to rewrite our stories, but he has the power to rewrite hearts as well. Back to verse 5, and the people of Nineveh, it just says it very matter-of-factly, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. If you've been growing up in the church and you've maybe heard this story your whole life, I think sometimes we become numb to just how incredible this chapter really and truly is. Now, don't forget that Nineveh was sort of on par with cities like Sodom and Gomorrah. Cities we attribute to horrible, sinful behavior. Uh, Nineveh was one of the capitals of the Assyrian Empire, which was Israel's most threatening rival at this point. They tortured people, they threatened and conquered Israel for decades up to this point. Um, They were known to be brutal. Um, bloodthirsty. They were known for uh, dismembering victims, flaying the skins off their bodies and displaying them on the walls of the city for everyone to see. They were involved in all sorts of pagan cults and rituals. They worshiped their leaders as gods. But in spite of all that, Jonah arrives. He preaches a very short sermon warning them of God's judgment And then the miraculous happens. The whole city responds. From the king all the way down to the lowest citizen, they respond to this sermon and they repent of their wickedness. Now, most people don't believe that the Ninevites sort of completely converted to Israel's God like the sailors did in chapter 1, but they do believe that this is a citywide repentance over their own sinfulness and their wickedness. And just imagine for a moment what this must have looked like. You know, Wade alluded to it earlier um, this morning. He said that every week we pray for the city and and we we prayed for the city this morning, just like we do every week. And in many ways, this, what we're reading here is what we pray for, for our own city. And we pray it because we believe that God can do it. He is powerful enough and he has done it before. So imagine for a moment if God chose to do something like this, even in our own city. Imagine gangs and drug dealers turning in their drugs and their guns to the police. Imagine that every homeless person gets a meal and gets a friend, a relationship, and a warm place to live. Imagine families being reunited and fathers returning to care for their families. Imagine politicians and, and government officials turning away from self-promotion and and corruption and posturing. Imagine churches like ours being overrun by people coming to worship on Sunday morning. Imagine economic disparity being lessened. Imagine kids returning to schools because they are a safe place where they are loved and they can learn and they can thrive. Friends, if God can do it in Nineveh, he can do it in our own city as well. Why? Because God has the power to rewrite people's hearts. Friends, I think there's a lot of miracles in the Bible um, we read them on almost every page. You know, Genesis talks about a worldwide flood and Noah is preserved. The book of Exodus talks about plagues and God you know, parting the Red Sea to protect his people. The Gospels tell us about Jesus calming storms and, and multiplying bread and fish to feed thousands and thousands of people. But sometimes all of those things seems easier or feels easier than the miracle of God changing someone's heart. Think about it for a minute. Our hearts can become so hard, can't they? We can can become so locked in in bitterness and anger. Um, Our lives can become uh, so lost in routines. We can hold on so tightly to to past arguments and stubbornness. and, And it feels like any sort of movement in our hearts just feels impossible. Or think about people who might frustrate you and it feels like they will just never change. And sometimes we feel like God multiplying loaves would be easier than God changing a person's heart. And yet God has done it and God can do it. He can rewrite people's Hearts. He can fundamentally and radically alter the trajectory of someone's life and their story by rewriting their hearts. And it is a miracle when it happens. In fact, the scriptures tell us that the angels rejoice every time in heaven when the miracle of someone's heart is changed. But here in this passage, it doesn't just happen to one person or a few people but it happens to a whole city. That's how powerful our God is. God uses a reluctant, bitter, self-righteous prophet who didn't even want to be there. And God uses him to do something radical in the city of Nineveh. See, all of this is God displaying his power God's displaying his power to to Jonah who's bitter about the whole thing and we're going to see even more of his bitterness next week. God's displaying his power to the people of Israel as well as they learned more about God they would learn more about themselves and so it's as if God is saying look Israel look Jonah Nineveh has repented you need to do the very same thing too. God has rewritten the hearts of an entire city and he wants to rewrite your hearts as well. And so friends, wherever you are in your life at this moment, whether you're facing some sort of hardship or not, trust in God's work in your life. God has the power to transform an entire city from a short sermon by a reluctant prophet God also has the power to rewrite your stories as he rewrites your hearts. So whatever hardship you're facing, know that he can accomplish more than you can ask. He can accomplish more than what you can imagine. And so ask yourself, how might God's grace, how might his power be ready to surprise you where you are at this moment. Let's pray.